Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So I'm going to tell you this little Christmas story. It's about Santa Claus. It's a true story, and I think you're rather going to enjoy it. So every year, my brother, he has this party, a huge party, and he hosts this whole thing. I'm not kidding, like 100 people. And he invites everybody in our family, our extended family. He even invites the ones that nobody likes. He invites everybody to this party. And uh, it's a great party, and there's lots of food, and you see all these faces you haven't seen for a whole year. And then one of the things he always does is he rents a Santa and Santa shows up. And so every year Santa comes and he brings, you know, gifts for the, the grandkids and the people's children and stuff. And it's lots of fun. So anyway, we're at the party. It's last week. I'm at the party and I'm grazing at the buffet for, with some Christmas nachos. They have red salsa and green salsa. And so that's what makes them Christmas. And so I'm sitting there chowing down and Santa comes into the, to the room and he makes a beeline for me. And as he comes up to me and he stands right in front of me, I'm looking at him and I realize this isn't a fake beard. This is a real white beard. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is the real Santa Claus. This this is what's going through my head. And then then he says to me, not a word of a lie. He says to me, so have you been naughty or nice? Because if you've been naughty, you can't go to heaven. And I think you've been naughty. (laughs) And I went, what? (laughs) And he says, I think you've been naughty. Have you been naughty and nice? And he starts preaching the gospel to to me and tells me if I don't accept Jesus, I'm naughty and I can't go to heaven. And I'm looking at him and what's going on here? Who is this Santa Claus? And I'm looking at him and I'm trying to think, I think you maybe know this guy. And I'm looking at his face. I'm looking at his face. And I realize I can't quite place him, but I know I know him. And I say, do I know you? And he says, no, you don't know me. And I said, yes, I do. I know you. Who are you? I know I know you. And finally, he introduces himself. And he says, I'm, I'm Steve. And Steve ran a ministry in Winnipeg here for 30 years. I've known him for 30 years. But I didn't recognize him with his big white beard. And I said, what are you doing to Santa Claus? He said, well, I retired two and a half years ago. And uh, he says, I became Santa. And he says, this is what I do now. And he says, I'm loving it. I'm having so much fun. I'm going to events like this. And you know what I do? I share the gospel and I pray with more people than I ever did when I was in ministry. That's what he said. So then I'm talking to him for about 10 minutes. We're kind of catching up on stuff. And then my brother comes over and says, come on, Santa. I paid good money for you. Let's get him on stage here. And so he drags him up on stage at this venue, and he's up there, and then the kids are all going, I'm, I'm watching, I want to see what he's doing. And he's there, and he has this big you know, Santa bag with gifts on, he's pulling out these gifts for the kids that look suspiciously like they came from Dollarama, and he's giving, he's giving them to all the little kids. And then I noticed, for every single one of these kids, he, re, he listened to what they wanted for Christmas, and then he reached out his hand and he prayed for them. And I couldn't hear what he was saying exactly, so I grabbed one of my grandkids, and I, and I headed up. I thought, I'm going to sit on Santa's knee, and we'll, we'll find out what he's really doing. And sure enough, he prayed for my granddaughter, and it was so sweet and so lovely. I know for a fact this guy's going to get fired from this job for doing this. I don't think he's going to last, but good on him for doing it. And then for the rest of the party, everybody saw me talking to Santa at the beginning. So they all come out and say, do, do you know Santa? I said, of course I know him. I've been sitting on his knee since I was four years old. 
So I thought it was a pretty funny, sad story. It's, it's like the one about little Johnny. Little Johnny's in his room and he's praying for a present for Christmas and he's praying to Jesus as loud as he can and he's just shouting about this new PlayStation he wants. His mother comes in and says, Johnny, would you keep it down? God's not deaf. To which he says, I know, but grandma is. <laughs> So this Christmas message is called Go Tell It, and it's, of course, based on the song Go Tell It on the Mountain. And, of course, this is a Christmas carol that we all know. But, you know, it's sort of interesting because it's decidedly different from other Christmas carols. It's got a different feel to it, a different sound, kind of different lyrics to it. And the reason is, is most Christmas carols have been written in Europe. They're from, from England or Germany or Austria or France. But this one actually is North American grown. And I'll tell you where it comes from. It was originally what, what they used to call a Negro spiritual. And these were the songs that were written by the slaves while they were in captivity. And this is their Christmas song. And it actually has no author attached to it because it was kind of one of these fluid songs. They would add verses to it in different seasons. But the main thing was this. Even though they were in slavery, they were celebrating the liberty that they had in Christ. And of course, it's the Christmas story. It's about the shepherds and it's about the angels. You remember, uh, while the shepherds kept a watching or their flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens appeared a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And I think when you think about that song, they were relating more with the shepherds, I think, than the wise men, right? In their telling of the story. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the narrative. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to just ask you to think about this. If this sounds an awful lot like the song that we sing, Go Tell It on the Mountain. So here we are. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're starting at verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, watching over the flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Say good tidings of great joy. We're coming back to that, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward man. Say on earth peace. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told to them by the shepherds. And what we discover in this story is these shepherds were absolutely ecstatic about what they heard and what they saw. And wouldn't you be? I mean, we're talking about angels. We're talking about lights. We're talking about voices coming from heaven and the hosts of angels singing. And then they go and they find this baby in the manger and they know this is the Christ. They know this is the Messiah. They know this is the newborn king. And there's this excitement in their heart and they can't stop sharing it. And it says they went widely and shared it 
over the hills and everywhere. I don't want you to miss that part of the story. And here we are. I want you to think about this one. 2,000 years later, and we're still celebrating a birthday. We're still celebrating a birthday 2,000 years later. I hope we're not celebrating my birthday in 2,000 years, right? I quit celebrating my birthday like a decade ago. Like I realized there was no benefit in it. I was just getting older and looking worse. I thought, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just holding steady. At, you know, I'm 50, I'm going to go with. But, but, but I do remember when I turned 60. And uh, here's why I quit doing birthdays. So I'm 60 years old. I go into the bathroom. I take off my shirt. I'm looking at my bod, which is awesome. You know that. But, but it's not quite a six-pack. It's more like a two-pack. I guess that's better than a one-pack. But anyway, so anyway, Kathy comes and interrupts me in the middle of this little moment. It wasn't great. And so it's my 60, 60th birthday. And, and so I said to her, look at me. I don't look 60, do she said, no, but you used to. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't really want to be celebrating my birthday at 2,000 years old, but Jesus still is because it's the most significant thing that ever happened because Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. The God of heaven became a human. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The most, the most incredible thing that has ever happened in the human race. And all history is demarcated by the birth of Christ. Everything that happened before that is called B.C. and everything after A.D. And so we know that history was changed, this monumental moment, because Christ came and dwelt among us. And so we look at this thing that 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating the birth of Christ. Sort of. Sort of. I, I, love, the, I love the way that, that Dave Barry put it. He said, he said, I remember the day that Christmas used to be a religious holiday. The Christians would go to church and they would call it Christmas. The Jews would go to the synagogue and they'd call it Hanukkah. The atheists would call it party time and go out and get drunk. And so when you meet them on the street, you'd say, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. And to the atheist, watch out for that wall. <laughs> And so we look at what happened in that first Christmas. We have the the shepherds having this ecstatic moment where they have discovered the newborn king. And they go and they share it widely over the hills and everywhere. And and the people marveled. And what we are missing today in our post-Christian culture is people marveling at the miracle of Christmas. And you know, people think they understand Christmas. They do, but they don't really. They don't even understand Christianity. I mean, people, you know, say, uh, I don't read the Bible. It's bogus. I said, how do you know? Have you ever read it? No, I don't read it. It's bogus. I just told you that. Why would I read it? And so people think they know what Christianity is, but they don't really. And I I remember growing up as as a Catholic. Now, let me let you in on a little secret about Catholics. Uh, We were the only people going to heaven. I don't know if you knew that. But, uh, and I didn't actually, (laughs) this is how dumb I was. First of all, I'd never read the Bible as a Catholic. And secondly, I didn't know exactly what a Protestant was except it didn't sound good, whatever it was. And so that, that was my full knowledge of Protestantism and evangelicalism. And so i got to tell you a story, you're going to love it. So last week I told you the story of growing up on Delta Beach, which is on the bottom of Lake Manitoba. You all remember that story from last week. And uh, one of the things I didn't tell you was right down the beach from us, there was this religious summer camp. It was called Camp Jubilee. And nobody ever went there. We were afraid of this place because we didn't know who was actually there and what they were doing because they would gather around the campfire at night and it sounded like chanting to me. And so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it was some sort of cult, some sort of religious cult that gathered together. And it was, I can't remember the name of it, it was the something something brotherhood or something like that. 
So last week I tell that story about growing up on Delta Beach and this guy in our church comes up to me, runs up, his name is Ron, he's the same age as me, and he said, you know, I grew up on Delta Beach too, the same time you grew up and we never ran into each other. I said, what do you mean? I don't remember you. He says, I went to Camp Jubilee. Every single summer I went to Camp Jubilee. I said, Camp Jubilee, that, that religious cult? He says, what are you talking about? I said, what was that chanting, all that chanting I heard? He says, we weren't chanting, it's called singing hymns, is what that is. I said, well, who ran that camp? It was some sort of weird name, the something, something brotherhood. He said, it was called the Mennonite Brethren. (laughs) I was so stupid, I didn't know what a Mennonite was, and I certainly didn't think, I didn't know what a brethren was, for sure that was some sort of cult word, a brethren, right? And so, you know, here's my point, is I'm not trying to make, make fun of the Mennonites, I was trying to make some fun of myself there. But, but people don't really, really know what it is about Christmas and what the message of Christmas is all about. And that's why we have to go and tell it. And we have to tell it widely. But see, here's, here's the problem with the song. It kind of throws us off because it says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. So we think we have to go somewhere around the world. We have to go to India or Africa or the Nepal and find some mountains and some hills so we can go tell it on the mountain. And what it's actually talking about is telling it on the hills and mountains in which you live right now. And I want to go right back to the very beginning. I want you to think for a minute about Jesus' disciples, the first Christians. Who remembers where they lived? Anybody remember? The region? It was the region of Galilee. They called it the hills of Galilee. Because if you ever go there, some of you have been there, it's just nothing but hills. Hills and mountains. And so here's how it happened. I'll tell you the story. You can go read about it in John chapter 1, but it's sort of interesting. So the very, very first person that figured out who Jesus, who Jesus was was actually his cousin, his first cousin. His name was John. We call him John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had a friend. His name is Andrew. He's one of his disciples. So he goes and finds Andrew, and he tells him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Andrew goes and he tells his brother Peter and says, We have found the Messiah. And the next day, Jesus goes and he finds Philip and he tells him, Follow me. And so then Philip goes and he tells his brother Nathaniel, We have found the one which was spoken of by Moses. Now I'm wondering if you can think about who all those people were on the hills of Galilee. They were friends, they were family, they were relatives. They weren't going off and running off and telling it to a bunch of strangers. And so here's what I want you to think about. When we look at the shepherds, it says they made widely known the things they had heard and seen. Who did they make them widely known to? The people they knew. They weren't running around shouting it from the mountaintops to to, to the goats and the sheep. They were going and telling people they actually knew. And so if you've been in this church for the last few months, you know we've been pressing into this thing called the blessed lifestyle. B-L-E-S-S. And we've been saying this is how the gospel worked. It was from person to person, friend to friend. And the B begin with prayer. And the, the L is listen with care. And the E is to eat together. And the S is to serve in love. And the last S was to share your story. And so the share your story is at the end. And you go tell it at the end. Once you have done these things and built these relationships, and you look in Scripture, and it was people telling their friends and their relatives and the people they worked with, not running after strangers that they don't know. Now, that's okay, too, but that's not what you see in Scripture. And here's my point. What better time is there than Christmas to go and tell? 
You know why? It's the time when you pray for your family and your friends. It's the time when you listen to them, even if you don't want to. It's the time where you gather around a table with a big, huge turkey and all this food and all the fixings, and you eat together, and you serve them because some of you are going to clean up the dishes when you're done. And it's your opportunity to tell them about this great, fantastic message about the birth of Christ. It's so easy at Christmas because that's what we're celebrating. It's Jesus' birthday. We should at least talk about the birthday boy. Huh? Just just saying. So let me tell you about our family tradition has changed. Kathy and I both grew up in these huge families of eight people. And they were exercises in excess is what they were. Too many gifts and too many people and too much food and too much everything. And so for both of us, we've kind of simplified Christmas. I mean, we've really, really simplified it. It's just not over the top. In fact, <laughs> we draw names. We don't even buy gifts for everybody. You know, I only have to buy one gift. One gift, that's all I have to do. And you know what? I go online, point, click, boom, done. World record, 3.7 seconds. All all my Christmas shopping done in 3.7 seconds. Yes, that's a demonstration of the Christmas spirit, no doubt. (laughs) Isn't it the thought that counts, right? (laughs) Boom! (laughs) You know how that works. And so, uh, you know, for us it's pretty simple. But see, here's what Christmas is for us. You know what Christmas is for our family? This right now. This is our family. This is what we do. We, this is the moment we live for and, and going to church. And so Kathy's deal was always this over the years. We did it for years and years. Is, uh, she would put on a, a Christmas Eve meal and uh, we, she would invite her brothers or she'd invite her parents or both. And, and oftentimes other people from different places, whatever, somehow it just happened and people would end up. And here was the deal. She would feed you if you came and listened to her husband preach on Christmas Eve. And they all did. That was just how it worked. So they would come and we would feed them. We'd come off to church. And so her brothers came to church and her parents came to church and whoever else was with us came to church. It was a non-negotiable. You eat, you come to church, it's Christmas. That's the deal. And you know, in all those years, none of her family ever got saved in, never came to Christ in a Christmas service. But let me tell you something. Do you know that every last one of those that came over the years eventually came to Christ, including her father, I've told you this before, who came to Christ at 99 and a half years, one week before he passed away. But don't forget all of those Christmases where he was here, sat right over there with me. And he sat in the pew and he listened to that message and he finally got it at 99 and a half. Probably not too early, but we were pretty excited about it nonetheless. Here's sort of an interesting story. I think you'll get a kick out of this one. So, so one Christmas, the International Students Association from U of N calls us up. They said, would you be prepared to take a couple of students for Christmas? And so we said, sure. So uh, I figured they were going to be like 20-year-old students from who knows where. And, but I go down to the university and I pick these two guys up. And uh, they're 30 years old. And they're actually scientists, they're PhD ag students, they're finishing their PhD in Canada, and they come from China. And I just want you to recognize who they are. These are wise men from the East, right? (laughs) (laughs) Scientists from China. So anyway, we bring them to our house, and so immediately we realized we couldn't communicate very well, because they spoke Mandarin, for goodness sakes. Who thought? Who knew? And my Mandarin, I don't know if you know this, is very poor. 
like zero. <laughs> but here's what happened. They were reading textbooks, agricultural textbooks in English. So as long as it was ag words, they understood them. I'm an agriculture grad, so we were busy talking about plant breeding and anhydrous ammonia and all kinds of things like this. And of course, there's lots of great stuff in the gospel about wheat and sheep and fig trees. I'm not kidding. So anyway, we ate together. They were lovely people. And we brought them to church and we gave them a Bible and we talked to them about this. And not only had they never heard the gospel before. Are you ready for this? They had never heard the name of Jesus in their entire lives. And that day they did. And that day they got a Bible. And then shortly after, they, they went back to China. And here's the, here's the interesting part of the story. I only knew a couple of cities in China. I still don't know very many. And that was, you know, Beijing and Shanghai. So I said, what city are you from? You ready for this? They were from Wuhan. Everybody knows Wuhan now, right? It's pretty famous, but it wasn't then. I hope those two scientists didn't go back and make that stupid coronavirus. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. I hope not. And so when we, when we look at this Go Tell It, go tell it where? Go tell it to who? And go tell it to the people who are around us. And what better time than Christmas? So here's the core of the Christmas message. I want to I throw it up on the screen. Here's what the birth of Christ is all about. There was two things. I enunciated them as we went through the text. And it's number one is great joy, which will be to all people. And number two, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So when you look at the Christmas story, the first Christmas story, there was only two groups of people that actually went to the manger or to the stable. Do you remember who they were? They were the shepherds. We already talked about that. And who's the other group? They were the wise men. And there's something really important about this because Jesus wasn't born as a savior for Israel. Jesus was born as a savior for all people and all nations. And so we have the shepherds and then we have the wise men from the east. And within those two groups of people, the entire world is represented. You say, what are you talking about? I'll show you. It says what we have is we have the Jews and we have the Gentiles and we have the young and we have the old and we have the poor and we have the rich and we have the uneducated and we have the educated. And there's a good chance we have the white and the brown in this mix. And so we have this first Christmas where God very deliberately brings these two groups so we will understand that the great news is for all people. And and this idea that somehow Christianity is a European religion or a North American religion is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen what's happening with the gospel around the world, but it is literally going to all nations and all people. And I've got a map for you. It's just slightly out of date, but it's, it's really cool. These are where the biggest Christian populations are in the world. And number one in the world, the continent today with the number one number of Christians is Africa. 631 million, the fastest growing place of the gospel anywhere in the world. There's 40,000 people are coming to Christ every single day in Africa. And there are going to be over a billion Christians there in the next 20 years. And then, and then, of course, you see Latin America, it's number two. Asia is fast and up and coming. China in particular. The Chinese Christian population has grown from 1 million to 100 million in one single generation. There's 35,000 Chinese coming to Christ every single day of the week. And so when people say, well, Christianity, that's the white man's religion. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? There are more Christians that speak Swahili or Spanish than French or English. Maybe some of you heard this story. So these two guys are best friends. One's black, one's white. But they have one singular argument, and that's this. 
is God black or is he white? And they always wanted to know. And one day they're driving along in the car and they're arguing about it. He's white, he's black, he's white, he's black. The driver wasn't paying attention, drove right into a pole. They're both dead. And so now they're standing before the gates of the heaven and one looks at the other and says, well, nice going. He says, well, look at the upside. Now we find out whether Jesus is black or whether he's white. And just then the gates of heaven open up like this and there's Jesus with his hands out greeting them saying, Buenos dias, mi amigo in Cristo. (laughs) How good is that? (laughs) So the first thing is this, it's great joy for all people. Now, here's the sticky wicket. The next part of this is peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace on earth, How are we doing with that one? How's Jesus doing with the peace on earth thing? Mm, I just want to say, not so great. I mean, let's just look at the world right now and and then try to figure this out because we got a big peace problem in the world today and it's not peace, it's war. We got the Ukrainian war where half a million people, half a million people have already died. And these people that have died, you know that neither want to be fighting each other. Neither side wants to be fighting this war, and a half a million lives have been lost. And maybe you don't know this, but they are ethnic cousins, the Ukrainians and the Russians. And if you were to go to to Ukraine in the major cities, 50% of the population of the major cities are actually, actually ethnically Russian, and they're killing each other. And if it ended with Russia, if we look back at the last decade or so, we see there was over half a million killed in Yemen in the recent war. There was over half a million killed in Syria. There was a half a million killed in Ethiopia. There was a million killed in Rwanda a couple of decades ago. A million people. The Hutus and the Tutsis. And let me tell you something about them. Not only are they ethnic cousins, they're actually the same ethnic group. They're the exact same people ethnically. The only difference is as to socioeconomic differences. That's it. And the Civil War, a million people in one of the most violent and deadly and tragic, and I don't even want to begin to describe it. So then now we have another war in the Middle East, in the Gaza Strip, and we're looking at that and we're scratching our heads and we're going, really, are we going down this road again? Here's the great irony for me. Do you know where the Prince of Peace was born? Do you know where Jesus, the one who brought peace on earth, do you know where he was born? 45 miles from the Gaza Strip in the city of Bethlehem. 45 miles. You know how far away 45 miles is? That's from here to Steinbeck. That's how far it was. And I know we have some southern Manitobans. They think Jesus was born in Steinbeck. (laughs) Yeah, I know him, yeah. Mary and Joseph Teason's boy. Carpenter. Heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. Not everybody thinks that. Some people think he was born in Winkler. No, no, not teasing, freezing. He's a cabinet maker. Beautiful top of the line. How many Mennonite jokes is he going to tell today? <laughs> I just know my audience. What can I tell you? And so, you know, we look at this. Jesus comes and he's born right smack in the, in the heart of the greatest and longest running conflict in human history. Do you know that they have been fighting to the death over that patch of desert for 5,000 years? You can go read about it in the book of Genesis. And it's still going on. You think, what happened? Jesus came, the Prince of Peace came, and he's brought peace on earth, and I don't see any peace on earth. Well, you know, ordinarily, the King James is a very good translation. But actually, they make a mistake on this particular verse. And I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. So the King James Version says... 
on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The literal translation, and all scholars agree with this, is this. Peace on earth towards men of goodwill. Those are two different things, aren't they? The peace on earth isn't peace on earth for all earth. The peace on earth is for men of goodwill. People who have got the favor of God. You see, because peace on earth, where does it start? It doesn't start externally. It'll never start externally. It starts in the heart. And Jesus actually never promised peace on earth. He said, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that your heart is not troubled. What he wants is for us to have peace in our heart. And look what it says in John 14. It says this, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, I'm actually not giving you the peace that the world wants. I'm not running for Miss America. What he does is he, some of you got that, thank you. (laughs) And what he does instead is he comes and he brings us peace in the heart. And here's what you need to understand. We will never have peace on earth if men and women don't find peace in their heart. If you don't make peace with God, you'll never make peace with one another. So I want to close with one final story on this point that I think will illustrate it very nicely. And and some of you will remember that the longest running feud, family feud in American history was the Hatfields and the McCoys. Most of you would know that those names. They had a 28-year long feud between these two families. Now, there was a movie done on it, a miniseries on TV. Here's the poster for it, Hatfields and McCoys. Kevin Costner played Anderson Hatfield. His, his name, his nickname was Devil Ants. If you're going through life with the name Devil, you're probably not a great guy. And then, of course, Bill Paxton, he played Randolph McCoy. And, uh, and oh, here's a picture of the real-life uh, Devil Ants, by the way. Now, you might think he looks like a hipster. But back in the day, they called those hillbillies, just so you know. <laughs> so, so let me tell you a story so we're all clear on this. So the Hatfields actually lived in West Virginia. They were in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, the Hatfields were in West Virginia. There was this small valley, and on the other side of the valley was Kentucky, and that's where the McCoys lived. And actually, they were friends. They were business partners. They, they, they it was intermarrying that was happening between these families, et cetera, et cetera. But then the Civil War, the American Civil War broke out. And here's what happened. The Hatfields went and fought for the Confederates, and the McCoys went and fought for the Union Army in the North. So now all of a sudden they're in pitched battle against one another. So then the war ends. They actually managed not to kill each other during the war. But then when the war ended, their war never ended. And they were always at odds, and there was always this acrimony between them, and this bitterness, and this hatred, and this distrust. And then what happened is one of the Hatfields stole the Razorback pig from Randolph McCoy, and thus began the real feud, and they literally started to kill each other. And I've got to show you the pictures of these people. they got pictures from the archives. So here, here's the Hatfields. <laughs> Those guys look like they're loaded for bear. What do you think? I mean, look at all the guns or whatever. And then here's the McCoys. <laughs> and the, the women have the guns. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. I don't know why this is, if it's a coincidence that the Hatfields are in black and the McCoys are in white. I don't think there was really any good people in this mix. But what ended up happening is you've got Devil Ants, and he was really the provocator in all of this. And, you know, he was really the troublemaker. And by the time this, this thing raged on, by the time it concluded, 28 years of violent 
attack of one another. There was 15 McCoys and Hatfields dead. There were seven in, doing life in prison, and a couple of them were hanged. And there's probably about another two or three dozen people that were collateral damage. So what happened during that, those 28 years was incredible. But then something happened uh, in, in 1911, and uh, Devil Lance, he had a friend that he fought with in the Civil War, and his name was Dyke Garrett. Here's the picture of Dyke Garrett. And Dyke Garrett, after the war, became a preacher. You can see the Bible in his hand. And he went out and he preached around, and he came to the place where the Hatfields and the McCoys were, and he went and knocked on the door of Devil Lance. And he said, we got a tent meeting going. I want to invite you to come to this tent meeting. And he came to this tent meeting. He heard his friend preach the gospel and about the forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And devil ants gave his heart to Jesus that day. And they took him down. It's a kind of a cool story. And then they took him down to the river. It's a bad picture because it's old. But so there's, there's Dyke Garrett down at the bottom there in the circle. And then up top with the black beard, that's devil ants. And he literally took him down to the river and he baptized the devil. I just love this story. And his life completely changed. And he knew that he had been forgiven. And he knew that he had peace in his heart. And then he spent the rest of his living days on this earth trying to reconcile his relationship with the people that he had harmed. He went and he spread the good news over the mountains and over the hills and everywhere. And what he did was he went and told them that. And not only that, he built a church on his land. And he served Jesus for the rest of his life. And eventually, the Hatfields and the McCoys reconciled them. They signed a truce. And we know it turned out right because they appeared on TV's Family Feud in 1979. 1979, those are the descendants of the Hatfields and McCoys. Those aren't real guns. They're, toying, they're playing around with Richard Dawson. Do you remember him from Hogan's Heroes? He was hosting it at the time. And it's such a fantastic story about what happens. We will never have peace on this earth if we don't find peace with Christ. And that's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, born in that manger as the Prince of Peace, because one day he was going to die on that cross, and he was born to die, and when he died, he takes away our sins. And when we accept him, we are reconciled with God, and we have a relationship with the living God, and we know him, and we have great joy in our hearts, and great peace in our hearts, and that is the reason and the meaning of Christmas, because Jesus is the reason for the season and wise men still seek him today. Merry Christmas everybody. Why don't you stand to your feet? So we're going to take a moment here like we always do every Sunday morning but it's particularly important I think on Christmas. And I want to ask you all to bow your heads and I want to ask you all to close your eyes because I know there will be people in this room that have never asked Jesus into their heart to be their Lord and Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. But what better time to get right? What better time than to make your peace with God than Christmas? And I'm not asking you, have you been baptized as an infant? I'm not asking you, have you been to church before? I'm asking you this. Do you have a personal relationship with this Jesus I've been talking about today? Have you invited him into your heart? And have you received the forgiveness of your sins and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding? And if you haven't done that, you'd like to do that today, 
Nobody's looking around. It's just between you and me and Jesus. I want you to slip up your hand right now. Just slip it up. Let me see your hand. Let me know that that's what you want to do. Thank you at the back and the side. If you're online, you just click that little icon on your screen. Anybody else want to join these folks today? You want to make this right? You know that, that today you've got this tug in your heart. You want to get this right? Okay, that's great. You can put your hands down. Let's uh, all pray together and pray with this online. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you came 2,000 years ago. And you were born in a manger, laid aside your glory, lived a sinless life on this earth. Then you went to the cross for my sin, rising again on the third day, and you forever live to be my Lord. You've washed away my sins. You've put my past behind me. And you've given me great joy and peace in my heart. And I'm going to go tell it on the mountain. I'm going to make it widely known because I know people that need Jesus. And I want to tell the story. And Lord, I thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness. And today I'm a Christian. And I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a big shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.